14-ish months later, and here we are from idea to launch. I'm so scared. I'm so excited. This is uh, something I've never done before. For those of you who don't know, myself and my videographer, Caleb, we partnered up. We invented an actual physical product. This idea was conceptualized in October of 2017, and it just launched on Kickstarter. This is a big experiment. Some people have called it a big gamble, but Caleb and I are going to talk about it and everything about it, including how much money we've spent in the process so far, what we hope to achieve out of this, where this idea came from, the entire prototyping process, and how we have been marketing this over time to hopefully have a successful funding campaign. Uh, We'll even answer questions like, well, why are we even funding it on Kickstarter? Um, and where is it going to be manufactured, and who even helped us with that process? Do we have any of that experience? The quick answer is no. So make sure you stick around and listen in on the entire process behind the Switch Pod right after the intro. Here we go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, He's patient, except when it comes to getting food, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use, and one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be, because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting, and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host, and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just There's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to, and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. Hey, what's up, Team Flynn? Thank you so much for joining me today. This is session 356 of the SPI podcast Thank you so much for being here today. We got a great and special episode for you today, taking you behind the scenes of a product idea and taking it all the way to launch and all the things that we hope to do with it and to join us and help us today as my partner on this project and um, this business, because it is a separate business, uh, Caleb Wojcik. So we're just gonna get right into it right now. Caleb Wojcik and I discuss the Switch Pod. Caleb, what's up, man? Welcome to the SPI Podcast. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, it's a great to be back. I think it's been maybe my third time, fourth time. I don't know. I we have a so, lot of episodes. It's this, hard to keep track. This is going to be a unique episode. We have a big thing that just went live today. And many of you know who have been listening to the show that I have, uh, along with Caleb, invented a physical product. And it's called the SwitchPod. And it's a tripod that's built specifically for vloggers. And it is literally the like the day that this episode comes out is the day that that thing goes live on Kickstarter. And it's a big deal. Like, how are you feeling right now with all this? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long process and we'll get into how long we've been working on it, but it's just nice to finally be able to see if people are willing to vote with their dollars, not with just words that we've heard in person or we see on like Instagram or Twitter comments. Right, and we have had a lot of positive, excellent, supportive feedback along the way. We've started this journey, what was it, October 2017? 
Yes. And uh, it is January 30th, uh, 2019. And along the way, we've had a lot of great feedback, a lot of people saying that this is an invention that should have come out a long time ago. Um, and it is something that is sort of obviously a great solution for the problems that it solves. We're going to talk about all those things. But I think I want to start in the beginning and take people and rewind and bring people all the way back to like, why does this thing even exist? And what were some of our first steps? Who we got connected with? There are a lot of uh, major players who have had a major role in the just creation and development of this thing. And um, not just to give them a shout out, but to understand and hopefully help you understand the process that was uh, sort of that we went through. And uh, we're going to go over costs. We're going to go over a lot of lessons that we learned, things that we would probably do differently. Um, and then, of course, we would hopefully have you be interested enough to go to switchpod.co to at the time of this uh, at the time of the, the Kickstarter campaign, that domain will go to the Kickstarter page. And then afterwards, if you're listening to this in the future, it'll take you to a page of some kind too. We'll, we'll figure that we're, we're not even there yet. We are, we, we just launched and it's so exciting and there's still so many things left to do. But uh, yeah, you're right. I'm excited to get people to vote with their dollars, hopefully. And we'll talk about our funding goals, how much this thing is actually going to cost. And it's not cheap, which is uh, the benefit of doing digital products because like digital products, which is the world where I, come from and live um, you don't have sort of molding and tooling costs and uh, product testing and compliance and shipping costs and shipping and packaging and it's a it's it's a lot <laughs> so we're going to break it down for you but Caleb why don't you take us back to because it was really you your first words that really started this whole thing at a conference called vid summit back in October 2017 so let's paint the picture for them and, and set up how this all even started yeah, I always hear of people that are giving business advice or product advice or just talking about inventing something. And it's always, you know, find something that is a problem for people, a frustration. And it doesn't have to be something huge, just something minor. And we we're at this conference where there were a lot of YouTubers, vloggers, people that film themselves for kind of a living or for at least a hobby. And just seeing what they were using, the tool that they were using to hold their camera out in front of themselves. It's kind of an advanced or heavy duty version of a selfie stick because people have bigger cameras. They have microphones on them and high quality lenses and everything. And the tool that I was seeing and we were seeing everyone using that weekend and what we've seen online people using, it just wasn't invented for that. It was made for a different purpose. It was made to wrap around tree branches and railings and things like that. And so I think I turned to you and I said, there's got to be a better way. There's just got to be somebody with a product that can make a better solution for this issue that people are having. Yeah, and we had this issue too. I mean, I had this product in my hands and I, I, I just looked around and I looked at my hands and I was like, I hate this thing. It's it's And for those of you who are like, what product is this? You've probably seen it before. It's called a um, Gorillapod by a company named Joby, uh, who's built this amazing thing that like has these flexible legs. It looks like a bunch of balls connected to each other for a tripod, and then you can kind of wrap it around a tree, and it's flexible, and you can move it around. And this is the tool and the, and, and the product that all these vloggers kind of turned into this more advanced-looking selfie stick. So what they do is they kind of put the legs together, and then they bend it in a way that makes it almost look like a J uh, or an L, and then they use that to kind of extend the camera out a little bit further so that they have a wider angle. And then when they want to go back to, you know, setting the camera down, um, they either take the legs and spread them out again and then um, put the camera down like a normal tripod or, you know, the, 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 the sin, if you will, that I always see is they just are too lazy to do that and they just put the camera down and actually put pressure and weight on the lens and on the camera, um, which is a very common thing to do. And we're just like, oh my, my gosh, there should be a better way to do this. And so we weren't considering that we would ever be the people to create a solution for this problem. Um, but it did verify that, wow, there's, you know, all these people using this product that is sort of underserving this community. Um, and then you, I think it, you had some, th we, we just started having conversations about it. And I think that's where all entrepreneurs should start with the problems that they see. And what I love, and, and I want to give a big shout out to Tom and Dan from Studio Neat, who we met much later in the process. We're going to talk a little bit as well as 
who has given us inspiration along the way. Um, I interviewed them on the podcast not too long ago. They're from Studio Neat. They have their entire business is building physical products on Kickstarter. And what I love about what they say is they just say, look for the little frictions in your life. And that's where a lot of people can find opportunities to create solutions. And this was our little friction that we were kind of focusing on and having conversations about. And eventually you said something like, what if the legs just like kind of came together and became a handle, right? Is that is that kind of how it started? Yeah, it was just kind of talking through, well, what would enable you to do the two different modes you need, which is to hold the camera out in front of you, kind of an extension of your arm, and then to set it down in like a tripod mode to either not be using it or to film yourself in tripod mode because the Gorillapod takes forever to change between those two modes, and that's the most frustrating part. And even people at the top of the game of vlogging, so someone like Casey Neistat, who has been vlogging for years now, he still has his camera like fall over after he sets it up in tripod mode. Or uh, Peter McKinnon just had a video recently where he talked about him breaking a lens because the Gorillapod in tripod mode fell over and the lens fell like four feet onto the ground and broke a lens that cost over a thousand dollars so a a product a tool that doesn't do what it needs to do that's just kind of what i was thinking through is like how would it do the two main things that someone would need to do yeah it's it's almost like um you know, I, it was kind of cool that we saw people making their own solution for their needs. So for vloggers, which is sort of a new thing since Casey sort of put it on the map and a lot of people are on YouTube now, um, vloggers have sort of just taken on to this tool that wasn't built for them but made it their own. And I think that's where if you find people using products in interesting new ways, those are also great places to look for opportunities where then you can then go to those people and ask them questions and understand more about why they're using that thing in that way instead of what it was really intended for uh, and then begin to start to think about how you can create a better solution. And so from there, you know, we just, I don't know if it was divine intervention or what, but at this conference, um, and actually we were um, invited to this conference by a guy named Richie Norton, who's been on the show a couple times before. He has a company called Product. It's a combination of proud and product, product, and his company builds physical products for entrepreneurs of all kinds. Like you think it up, you can go figure out how to build it. They have an engineering team, product development team, all those kinds of things. So of course us, we're like, we wouldn't even know where to start. And Richie just walks by and I couldn't believe it. It was crazy, right? Yeah, it was pretty random that he walked up in that moment of, you know, ideation of trying to figure out what would do what we would do to to fix this and he basically at one point was like, "Let's do it." <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and from there it just kind of like, went from there. <laughs> yeah. Um and so our first process was to really just understand, well, what would this thing look like? I think a lot of us can internalize the idea of a solution of some kind of for, for whatever problems exist out there, whatever little frictions happen to be there. Um, but to actually materialize it and turning, turn it into something that we can then take and actually test uh, is, is really the, the, the next proper step. Um, and I've, I found this to be the case when I was even doing digital products and, or I still am doing digital products, but I, apps and courses and stuff like you can tell somebody, Oh, wouldn't it be great if there was an app that did this? Sure. Like you're thinking about the solution and what life might be like after that convenience is there. But the true entrepreneur thinks about, okay, well, how do we get to that solution? What kinds of iterations need to happen or what what might that actually look like? So I took out like a sketch pad or a paper and I just started drawing and it was like really crude and didn't really make sense. But then, you know, things start to happen and you start to come up with different concepts and then through Richie and Product, who we uh, were very happy to work with, uh, we got to know a man who works there named Cole, who is their engineer. And I think this is where a lot of people, especially with physical products, they go, "Well, I, you know, I have this idea, but I, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't know how to build this. I wouldn't know how to how to create this." Um, first of all, when we started working with Cole, we got just essentially prototypes, which is always the right process. Um, prototypes just to get a, a feel for the size. And 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 the and just the the shape of this thing. Um, we also offered him a number of um, measurements related to how we and others use the Gorillapod. So we actually had like tape measures and measured like the angles and like this is how people seem to be shaping it because we wanted ours to be sort of a permanent shape instead of one that was more flexible. 
part of that was like, well, we would be losing the capability to wrap this thing around a pole. Is that something people actually do? So what did we do? We had conversations. I know I never did that, but I wasn't sure if, uh, if that was something that people actually did with this thing. And I don't know if we have an exact percentage, Caleb, but it actually may be 99.9% of people who have one of these sort of flexible tripods, but they don't use it to wrap around anything. They use it for holding their camera up and placing it down, but that's it. Yeah, no one really said that they, they maybe have done it once or twice, but on average, it's really just vlogging mode and tripod mode, not wrap around a tree mode or, you know, suspend from somewhere mode. Right, so what were some of our next steps from there after sort of conceptualizing a version of an idea? We got some measurements to Cole and un, like just helped conceptualize what we were thinking, but um, I didn't quite yet know how it was all going to work, like mechanically. And I don't, I'm not sure if you did either at that point. No, and it was really just an idea and a conversation that we had that then Cole, with an engineer kind of brain and experience, took from us telling him, okay, so what are the key features? You know, what what's most important to you? We gave him words like speed is important, uh, strength is important, lightweight is important. And he took those things into the more technical shaping, design, material, functional part of engineering these different prototypes that he would 3D print in different materials and ship them to us. And we would be able to hold them and give them feedback and Got to see him in person a couple times over the development of this, too, to really give feedback uh, through the process. But the main thing was just getting this idea out of our head, starting to actually make something physical to hold. And that took many iterations to get through to what we have now. I think at least 10 to 12 months of prototyping has happened in this whole entire process with I don't know how many different types of versions, but at least 10 different versions of shapes and materials and sizes that we've tried too. So it's just been a long process to get that out of our head into a physical shape and sharing it with other people. Yeah, and if you want to see what this thing looks like, if you go to switchpod.co, you'll be able to see a video and some images there um, and some comparisons as well. But for those of you who are still having and, uh, some trouble understanding how this works. Essentially, if you imagine a tripod, um, we can essentially fold the legs together. They, they kind of spin and then all turn into one handle. Um, so if you imagine like a selfie stick that's a little bit thicker than the ones you see at like Disneyland or whatever, um, that one handle can then be broken and sort of it spirals out into the three legs again and it can just switch back and forth between between those two things but something that you said that was really important were the sort of rules that we gave our engineer or the parameters and i think that's really important too because if we just went we want the the, the strongest uh tripod for vloggers to use well then he could potentially create the strongest tripod ever but it might be 50 pounds so we need to have some specific rules and a lot of those rules were informed by our needs as videographers and, and vloggers, uh, both Caleb and I have a YouTube channel and do a lot of videos, um, but also especially the conversations we had with people at that event and, and Richie and, and a lot of the other team members on product, Jace, um, are all also videographers. So we just put ourselves in that world and tried to get in their heads and extract as much information as possible. So that that's what created this sort of really high level but, but ground rules for, okay, Cole, here are the rules go create this and it needs to do this uh, in in these rules. And and we got an iteration back and it was like pretty eye-opening to see like this thing could actually work, but it's not quite there yet. I'd love to discuss these iterations that we've had over time, Caleb, and what were some of the major big decisions that we made. Um, and perhaps we can start with maybe the first working prototype that we had where it actually did open and close there were some some things on there that um, were unexpected that we decided to remove. Do you remember what those things were? Yeah, as we started to make physical prototypes that actually would function and weren't just, you know, you'd kind of have to imagine when you're holding it, but actually the tripod legs opened, you could put a camera on, chop on top of it. One of the things that we started to notice was 
as you add features or as you add things that you think you need, you also add complexity to it, which is A, going to increase the price, B, going to increase the chance that it's going to break. And that latter one is what actually happened. We had these little clips that as you open the tripod legs, they'd clip into place. And, you know, we were using 3D printed, not final materials. So just like molded plastic that comes out of a fancy printer and those clips would just break. And so at some point, I think you were just like, this is not going to work. Like if it's breaking now, it's going to break after six months or 12 months or something like that. And we wanted to make something that's going to last. That's going to be something you can invest in and use for years. So then that influenced back into the engineering side. Okay. How can we still have the legs open, stay in place, but not necessarily have these clips. And so that led to using magnets. And so each of our decisions during this design process of getting physical prototypes, using them ourselves, showing other people, letting them use them, getting ideas from people, all of that influenced the final prototype that we have now that we're then going to try to sell. Right. So the way that it works is that now when it opens, it's not a clip that then locks those legs into place in tripod mode, but they're actual magnets that are sort of hidden inside the mechanism that still give you that sort of feeling of it being locked, but is actually um, le- like there's you have one magnet instead of four or five pieces, including a spring and small plastic parts. So we were able to actually extrapolate that likely we would save you know, five to ten dollars per unit just because of that change alone, which was which was pretty amazing. Um, that may not be exact, but you know, those numbers do add up, especially when your order numbers are in the in the thousands to tens of thousands of units. If this thing were to actually go um, and and be live, um, but then it was like, okay, well, we have these magnets that keep them open, but when they're closed, like what happens then? How do we keep it closed? And and we had some debates on, oh, well. It'll be closed, but your hands will be on it. And so you don't necessarily need a me- another mechanism to lock them into place when the handles are together because your hand would be doing that. However, it was through a lot of conversations with other people that had us determine that it still needed a little bit of stickiness so that when you were holding the thing, because what we what we ended up doing was we, we would go to events and, and go to people, other videographers, and just give it to them and just like not even prime them with any questions about it we just wanted to hear what they would say and we ended up discovering for this particular part that we're talking about that when people would just hold it not actually using the camera but holding it to their side and whatnot the legs were kind of opening in in moments where you didn't really want it to um, even though it was closed and so that informed okay well how might we be able to use the same magnets um because it would be cheaper if we just use the same magnets uh kind of on the on the feet um and then another decision that was informed by our use was like okay well let's put it in tripod mode and put it on a table wow it's very slippery like it needs some grip and and those are the kinds of things that yeah like at the end of the process you're like of course it needs some sort of rubber or something to keep it sticking to the the platform that it's on but when you're in the building process like it's those little things that often often get missed. Um, and so we then had like an exploration on different solutions for the grip. Um, and, and we explored grip that was, um, you know, partway up the whole entire leg. So it also added for hand grip um, to sort of um, spray on rubber to like little tiny dots to other things. And we ended up with a really beautiful solution that's shown in some images uh, that really has a nice little rubber foot inlay into the actual metal itself. Um, yeah, and, and, and then materials is a, is a whole other thing. I mean, Caleb, would you like to discuss just materials and then how that informs pricing and sort of the, some of the options that we explored? Yeah, as far as materials, um, we obviously don't know anything about like what kind of aluminum or what kind of plastic or what have you like that's not our specialty we know html and email sequencing and how to edit <laughs> videos and all this digital stuff that is not in this physical world of product development so this was another opportunity for us to lean on product and tfn who knows a lot of this stuff along with cole about all of the physical aspects and materials to be used and so we tried a bunch and we tried 
using a lighter weight plastic that while it would give you the benefits of being lightweight, maybe it wasn't as strong and rigid enough. So some of those prototypes could hold the camera, but the heavier camera, the flimsier it would be. And that's just not the kind of product we wanted to make. So through iterations and through testing and through feedback, we got closer and closer to the material we want to use, an aluminum alloy, a metal alloy, so that you get the strength and you get the lightweight part of it. And so this whole process of all these features you just mentioned, like the finger grooves all the way up, the magnets on the inside to have it snap into place into tripod mode, the magnets to keep the three legs together, all of those things, the the grooves, uh, the the rubber feet at the bottom to make it not slide, all of that stuff came from testing, using it, and showing it to people. And whether you're doing a physical product where it's maybe a little bit easier to just hand something to somebody, or you're doing digital stuff like a website or an app or maybe even a course, until you get other people that don't know it as well as you to know exactly how, oh, when you pick it up, you're going to hold it like this. The legs are going to open like this. When you just hand it to somebody fresh, that's what it's going to be like when a customer sees your product for the first Mm -hmm. time or tries to use it for the first time. So getting that anonymous feedback from strangers that have they don't have to be nice to you because they're your friend or your family member or something like that. That's just a really good way to make sure that what you're making is going to make sense to people and work for them. Exactly. Now, the total cost for the development of this, which is just everything from the engineering to the prototyping and and all those kinds of things before, um, and we'll get into molds and what that means, which is a little bit more specific on the on the physical product development side. But um, it, it costs us. I'm looking at the numbers here: twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars. So that that's how much money we've invested into just the process of creating something that we believe is and actually th- have tested via actually handing it to people. So you know, it's not just like we built something and then showed it to people. But we, you know, this is the the what we have is the. Uh, final version of a number of tests that we are investing um for some people they might go well it's kind of a gamble isn't it and you know it kind of is but we feel like that we've stacked the odds heavily in our favor with the research process and the conversations that we've had and we've also hopefully positioned ourselves well marketing wise um to gain some exposure and we'll talk about that sort of in the second half of the conversation here but all in all about Twenty-seven to twenty-eight thousand dollars for just the total development cost. Um, and can I touch on kind of some of the breakdown or how that's been spent? Just yeah, a little please, bit. Of, please, please. I think it's important to know that if when I first had that idea standing next to you and Richie came up and he was like, "Dude, let's do it. It's going to take fourteen or fifteen months. Uh, just give me thirty thousand dollars right now, and we'll make it." Like that's that probably would not have happened. I would have not been attracted to that. <laughs> right, but. You have to think that we took this step-by-step to validate this as an idea to see if it was something we wanted to do. So, you know, the first part of that money was spent on engineering and feedback and some of the early prototypes. And way further down the road was incorporating a business to protect this thing, getting a utility provisional patent paid for. So it's like all along the process. There were stages where it, we basically had a go, no go. Like, it, do we want to keep doing this? This is how much it's going to cost to keep doing this? Yes, let's keep going. And throughout each of those stages, if we would have gotten more negative feedback or not been excited about it ourselves or not gotten a chance to show it to people in person and get a, a response of, well, how much is it going to be? When is it going to come out? I want to buy this. If we hadn't gotten those types of feedback from people we probably would have stopped before this much money was spent yes. so about half of that was spent on the team so engineering team development of it management of the manufacturing stuff like that the other half strictly to prototypes because we've made so many prototypes and we now have four final prototypes so that there's enough for us to take product photography with different cameras on them or to give them to some influencers that we'll talk about later. And so that spending was not a all-in-one 
like decision. It's been an incremental thing where we could have turned it off at any time and walked away. Right, exactly. And if you if we go all the way back to the start, the total cost to test the idea initially was zero dollars. It was literally conversations. And mm-hmm. that's something that we can all do because it doesn't cost any money. So for a lot of you who are like, how do I start a business? I don't have any money. You don't need money right away. Um, sometimes with your idea, you might even have people pay you to go and get it developed because your idea is so great. And that's where a lot of businesses, especially digital related ones that even use Kickstarter or pre-sale, um, that gives you a lot of funding up front to then develop the thing that you have made a lot of people excited about. Uh, which is really cool. So you don't you don't have to spend a lot. And you know, some of our first iterations, which were just like, you know, little cut pieces of plastic which didn't move at all. I mean, th- those are fairly cheap, and anybody can do that. And I think a lot of cities now, especially major cities, have access to or, um, you know, uh, larger commercial size like three D printer areas. You know, a lot of three D printers that people see are the ones that can print like something the size of a marble and that's it mm-hmm. but um, there are a lot of companies out there now who will if you have somebody engineer a cad file they will then print it out for you and then you can actually see it and touch it and print it or, or sorry and, and hold it and show it and get feedback already even even if it doesn't work it still is something that people can see and play with and give you some amazing feedback that you can take and then move forward with so yeah thank you for sharing that because it was definitely an iterative process so um it's it wasn't all twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars up front. It was it was all a result of yes, let's keep going. Yes, we're getting great feedback. Yes, we'll make those changes. And actually, to further that, a chunk of the prototyping cost is a result of us landing on some really good uh, finalized versions that we just wanted to have more prototypes of. Um, so we we don't we didn't need those, but um, we wanted them for the purpose of having two so that Caleb and I both had one at, a, at an event or these influencers that we have um, have been so blessed to have some conversation with to give the give it to them so that perhaps one day they might actually use it and and, and endorse it in some way shape or form so uh, yeah it just thank you for sharing that because that, that's a really important part of the process um, the way physical products work which is really interesting is that and this isn't all physical products there's obviously people creating physical products on Etsy, right? So, you know, we're talking about um, highly manufactured things that you can at some point in time have manufactured on a line of some kind. And in order to do that, if you were to sell, you know, so many units of something and you just want like that many made um, by a a machine or factory process, um, from our understanding, you have to think about creating molds. And molds are essentially... Like if you think of a mold of something, you then pour something into it to create the item in a much more rapid sequence. So instead of grabbing a large chunk of metal and then carving out by hand like the shape of this thing, you actually can create a mold to then pour a substance of some kind that then hardens into the product itself, whether it's a plastic or a aluminum alloy or a zinc alloy or whatever the the and the the final uh, material may be. And they each have like things are cheaper than others and other things are more expensive so um that's again a lot of decisions that i didn't know i would have to make because initially i thought this thing was going to be just like a, a nice higher level sort of plastic but we've landed on sort of an aluminum alloy based on the feel and the look of it and and the shine and all those kinds of things but um, molds are expensive um and for each part that you have in the process you need a new mold so you know, um, we we were looking for ways to remove the number of molds we needed. I mean, there was at one point where we had a conversation on, can we make all three legs the exact same? Which would be amazing because then we would just need one mold. And instead then, of three, yeah. Yeah, instead of three, which would be a significant savings. But unfortunately, because of the way that the switch pod works, um, each one is actually different, mostly at the top portion where it connects to the others, sort of like a little puzzle. So we have like three puzzle pieces each that are a little bit different, unfortunately. Um, but it, it's just the nature of the way that this thing works and that we would want it to be for the end user. So in total, what's going to happen is we have um, what we have called the center leg, the right leg, and the left leg. Those are each separate molds, each costing $15,000. So if we would want to have this thing manufactured, 
before paying for any one single unit, we would have to have these molds created. So 15,000 each for the, for each of the legs, seven, uh, seven, five for the mounting plate and the knob, the mold for that is about 6,200. So, uh, and then there's some testing involved. So all in all to get the molds created to then begin to stamp out these things is going to cost $63,000 and 60, about $64,000. So in our head, we're like, wow, even before we sell one, in order to even produce one, we would need $64,000. Plus then the unit price after that, um, it's, it's, it, the numbers are kind of mind boggling when it comes to something like this. And it should, it's, 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 I'm sure relatively simple compared to like, say, creating a, you know, an iPod or an iPhone or something. Yeah. I always think of that, like comparing this to a television or a laptop or something that like has so many more pieces. We're talking, you know, five molds here and some magnets is about the extent of what ours is and yes. a screw. And it just thinking about how complex it is to make other inventions or products. Yeah. It may, it makes me appreciate like the things that I see around me a lot more when I understand like, wow, this is, I, I kind of understand the process of, of how this might have been ideated, prototyped, and then manufactured and all the materials and just what that might look like. Speaking of what it looks like, um, we, uh, again, working with the amazing team at Product and Richie and TFN and, and Jace over there, um, Richie and Tiffen went to China to scope out a lot of the contacts that they have there for a place that could then manufacture these things. And, you know, where things are manufactured is an interesting topic that came up in conversation as well, because obviously, I think ideally, especially Americans, we are very prideful in products that are made in America. But then, you know, initially I was like, I want it made in America because it's like, I just want it. I just want it that way. I want to keep things, you know, in house, if you will. But, um, like when it comes to the numbers, I mean, and, and now I understand why products are made in China. It's just so much more economical. This would not be able to be something that our target audience would be able to afford if it was made in America in the way that we would want it to be made, right? Yeah, and that's that's a tough decision. It comes down it to is. what do we think someone is willing to pay for this and what can we get it made for? And if it's not possible to get it made for that price so that there is at least some profit margin so that we don't go out of business just based on this one product right. then that's that's a tough decision you have to make and so we're going to we've kickstarted this obviously like we said earlier and there are specific funding goals that are um you know more front facing for the audience and and you know which which can give us some, some really good media and, and marketing but we we do have internal goals for how much we hopefully are going to sell um so of course just thank you in advance for anybody and everybody who has supported this in some way shape or form whether you become a backer and get one or get a few so you can give some away or even just sharing the campaign again switchpod.co is where you can go to check this out and hopefully uh, just see how it's going over time and it, i'm going to be very interested and in, i think the the most interesting thing is just me and caleb honestly we have ideas of how well this has been received but we have no idea how this will perform on Kickstarter. We've never done a, a physical product like this on Kickstarter. I've done a book on Kickstarter, and I know, Caleb, you've filmed Kickstarter videos before mm -hmm. um, that have performed very well. But uh, who, who knows what's going to happen? But it, would you like to speak on like what an ideal situation would be for us beyond the just sort of pipe dream of let's have it earn $5 million and then be set. So like realistically, what, is, what are our goals, if, if, if you don't mind sharing, and kind of what are we hoping for? Um, I think this will be a fun, transparent sort of before picture, and then we can come back together at some point in the future and talk about, well, here's how it went, and here's what we probably should have done, which I'm sure there's gonna be some of that, but I'm, I'm, I'm also expecting a lot of, wow, this, this went really well or beyond expectation. Yeah, I kind of see it as a flow chart in my mind of, okay, do we get the funding goal? Yes or no. If no, this idea either dies or we go back to the drawing board and try something else. If yes, then we, you know, we're on the hook to make these for that group of backers. Then above that, it's okay, if we barely get funded, maybe we only make enough for that group. And then a little bit more, maybe a few hundred more or a thousand more or something like that. If it goes beyond that, 
and we can then invest in not only producing enough to fund the 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people that bought it so far, but maybe build up inventory a little bit to make five or 10,000 of these, then we have a different kind of business at that point after the Kickstarter of now we have to continue to market and continue to sell this thing. If it blows up even more in a good way, maybe we'll have potential companies coming to us that want to buy the idea and buy Mm -hmm. the business from us. And that's why we were specific about making this a separate business from both of our existing businesses, as well as getting the utility patent to make sure that we own this idea and the thing we've come up with so that if we did want to sell this to another company that has more of a team, has more experience making products or tripods specifically, then that would be another option for us. So there are a bunch of different directions this could go. And you and I, I think like to talk about the potentials of like, well, would we sell this or how much could yes, this make we've had or that conversation. could this fail? You know, but until the Kickstarter launches, until people start voting with dollars, we don't know for sure. So it's hard for me to sometimes live in the present, but we've just been trying to control what we can control, which is make the launch a success, do everything we can in our power to do that and see where it goes. We'll see where it goes, but uh, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I usually mm-hmm. am. And I think we've done a lot of hard work prior to this time to set up the Kickstarter campaign for success. Um, some people might be wondering, well, why Kickstarter? And I think, you know, for for me, it's a couple of things. Number one, and I'll let you speak to this as well, but no, number one, it, th- there are clear costs involved that we hypothetically could put our own money into, but um, the nice thing about Kickstarter is, is, is the validation portion of this. And so we can know that at a specific number, for example, we will have money to support the molds and the testing and the manufacturing costs and then deliver this product to people should we meet those specific and, and uh, those specific goals. Um, but the other portion of Kickstarter that's exciting to me is that, you know, I think it's a very great platform for a product like this. Um, we've had some people who are experts in Kickstarter say that like it's a it's a it's a product that is set up to do potentially well. Will it? We'll see. But video and 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 you know electronic related this isn't electronic there's no electronic components but it is related to videography and 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 people in that niche tend to a spend quite a bit of money on helping make their lives easier uh and tend to share a lot of things with each other and um are just sometimes you know shopaholics when it comes to just the latest and greatest when it comes to you know camera and and video related stuff uh, and accessories um that plus i just think this is a beautiful solution for for this pain so to me kickstarter is a great platform for those specific reasons and 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 because it's not a branded to pat flynn or branded to caleb logic although we have shared this to our channels obviously and here we are sharing it on on spi um like you'll notice in the kickstarter video we don't show up even until the end this isn't a hi my name is casey neistat creating a product i think you should all buy here's this is Hey, videographers, this is the solution that you need. We are creators just like you. And then at the end, we show our faces and talk a little bit about the story. But it, it is product in hope, and, and, and it's hopefully going to be something that when people see, go, yes, that's I, I want that. And in person, when we've showed it to people, that's what they've said. And we're hoping to amplify that with Kickstarter um, because they seem to be all connected on there. So, Caleb, any thoughts on Kickstarter specifically? And then I'd love to talk about just specific things we've done for marketing along the way. Yeah, I think that, like I was saying earlier, having a place where people can vote with dollars before we make an even bigger investment than what we've already made money and time-wise is just kind of the point that we're at with this. If we were a product company and were used to making products and had more capital to just make it, based on the feedback that I've gotten from people and us talking to people, I'm fairly confident that this would sell. But because we want that stopgap of, is this going to actually work? Are people going to actually pay for it? That's where Kickstarter comes in for me. And I think that not only is it good for validating an idea and raising funds, but it's also just a good marketing platform that people are used to buying stuff at, used to shopping at. 
it's not quite Amazon, but people are used to backing products and waiting months to receive it because they're a part of the story now. They're a part of the journey of us bringing this thing to life. And, you know, we discount it at a certain price for the early backers and bring them along with the journey. And something I hope to do as this gets funded is introduce more of the product team to the backers and go to the manufacturing plants and show the people that are making it and show the stacks of a thousand of the switch pods that we have. And so I think that Kickstarter is a great place for that, especially if you're willing to share stuff, be transparent and take them along for the journey as a creator. Absolutely. I love, I love the sort of community aspect uh, of Kickstarter as well versus if we were to just plop this onto Amazon, um, you know, but, but, but going back to what you said earlier, if we did have a lot of working capital, if this was, if we were a company who has done this for a long time and we've had a lot of uh, time to experiment and and try and, and learn, I mean, in an ideal world, if I had a magic wand and, and, you know, money was not an issue or a thought, we would have these units already available. We would, um, you know, whether or not we would use Kickstarter or not, I'm not sure. But um, if people were to buy, they would they would get it sooner. Mm-hmm. But um, also for marketing purposes, we would have several that we could share with influencers and just ship them and show them and, and get them to hopefully all coordinate in some way, shape or form that, you know, hey, film a video about this. We, we've given this to you for free. This is called influencer marketing. It's 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 understanding that there are many people out there who have raving fans who will buy whatever they say to buy. And if we had more switch pods, we would probably give them most of them away to influencers. Mm -hmm. But because of the cost of the prototype, which each one costs about $2,000, like the the final versions um, that are aluminum and and whatnot, um, it just didn't make sense financially for us to do that. So we've had to take a little bit more of a, smarter relationship-based approach to the influencers that we've connected with. Um, we are thankful that we also have some channels with um, some you know, wide-ranging audiences. Um, all of Caleb's audience is in the videography space on, on his YouTube channel and his, in his brand. Um, a certain percentage of mine are. Some of you might be listening to this and may be very interested in the product because you are a videographer um, or you know uh, somebody who films videos uh, for business even. So you know, we, we have audiences already, which has been very helpful, but uh, we've been able to in person create a lot of new relationships by putting ourselves where those people who may be interested in this product would be, which is VidCon, VidSummit, um, other video places. Um, and we've created an Instagram channel and other things to ho- hopefully help. But um, those are some of the things just on a high level that we have been thinking about in terms of marketing. Yes, there will be ads and, and those kinds of things as well. But um, Caleb, any other things? thoughts on on marketing or sides of it that we should talk about i think one thing that i really spend a lot of time making sure that i do right and we're doing right with SwitchPod is how we are interacting with people that have large audiences so influencer is the word that's used for that and i have a very specific way that i think people should be treated as influencers i know I'm sure you get it all the time. I get emails from people that basically want me to promote their product for whatever reason. And I think there is a proper way to approach people, to work with them, and to make it a symbiotic relationship instead of a you're going to help me and this is this is why kind of thing. And as we've been fortunate enough to be at conferences or events where there are bigger influencer people that we would love to work with, give them a switch pod. And if they like it, ideally share it with their audience. You and I have both been very careful about how we kind of manage those relationships. Yeah. Super sensitive. And, and there's a few different like touch points along the way. The first one is just how you get introduced to somebody I think it's really important when you're at an event and there's a big name person and they give their talk, 
you know, you can get in the line after they talk and try to, you know, give them a picture or whatever, show them whatever you've made or ask them for something. But that kind of puts you in a specific category of person, and it kind of puts you in the fan zone already. So if your first interaction with whoever it is you want to work with is as a fan and asking for something, that's immediately, in my position, going to put someone on the defensive versus if you can get an introduction with somebody they already know at a time and place that's not with everyone. So maybe that's a speaker dinner or something like at one conference we were at, or it's a, like a VIP speaker, like hangout thing. One of the nights they're they're less on guard to their fans of millions of people that might be at this conference. And if you get introduced by somebody that can kind of vouch for you in a way of, Hey, you should check out this thing. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. That already gives you a step up. And then you usually get more time too. If you're in a line trying to like show someone a product or something like that, you might have like 20 or 30 seconds. But if you're at a chill event or you're sitting or standing and talking to them, you might get four or five minutes. And so we've had a couple examples of that with high profile people that we would love to give them a switch pod. Eventually, maybe they'll promote it. But if we've, come from this position of well you have to use this or this is this thing and you know instead of service of making the best product that they would want to use and showing it to them while we're developing it and being very careful about the, the like the launch part of it of them potentially sharing it with their audience i just think that's really important because i think that a lot of companies do it wrong because they just they want the numbers or they want the reach. And that's just something I've personally through this process been very careful about how I'm working with a quote influencer or even my friends that have bigger audiences than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm the same way. I've, I've become very and maybe even overly hypersensitive about that, uh, especially with bigger names that um, I am thankful that I have access to, uh, which is cool because I am also a speaker at a lot of these events or I get invited to these sort of exclusive uh, parties and whatnot. But, I mean, it could be so simple for me to go, hey, giant YouTuber, check this out. And that's just not the impression I want to make. Um, I, I want, in an ideal world, I would be introduced by somebody who is a friend of that person already because then you are light years ahead of where you would be if you were just starting cold. So that's number one. And then number two, never making it about me. Um, and even if you did have a product and you were wanting to share it, coming at it from a place of, check this thing out that I think is going to really be helpful for you because I've seen and, and, and I, I've seen some of the issues you've had with with other things. And you are a huge inspiration for helping me create this and I hope that you like it kind of thing versus, hey, like, it would be so awesome if you were to promote this and share it, even even mention it in a video um, you know, we'll make you an affiliate. Like people at that level aren't necessarily caring too much about making more money. They care about their people and having fun and, and enjoying life. And I think that a, a lot of life for those influencers are filtering out the massive amounts of inquiries that they're getting every single day from people who have similar end goals, but varying approaches. Um, so this is why we likely have yet to even mention any names of those high profile influencers, um, because I don't want to abuse that. And I don't want to, I don't, you know, it, 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 it takes just a, a moment to ruin a relationship sometimes. And um, I think if you, if you look at the life span or the potential of the relationship or them using your product or recommending your book or what have you, in the long term, I would rather have less people involved that actually like the product and are promoting it in an authentic way versus a transactional, promotional, affiliate kind of thing. This is your philosophy with affiliate marketing. Use the product, recommend it to people if you enjoyed it, and if you didn't or don't use the product, then don't recommend it. 
And so to me, when we had interactions with certain influencers to get feedback or to show them the product, we could have immediately posted a behind the scenes photo with that person or posted B-roll or footage of them testing it or what have you. Um, it would have added a lot of credibility for sure. Right. It immediately starts to be like, oh, this person's looking at her. This person's talking about it. But to me, it's much more valuable that in six to 12 months from now, they use it. And it's linked below every one of their videos because they link to the gear that they use or what have you, and that they actually like the product. Like that is more important to me than any sort of shortcut social media share. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk used this word recently in a video, like leverage preneuring, like getting like next to popular people Mm -hmm. and leveraging that for your own, for your own good. And I don't think that that's what I ever want to do. So it's just something I'm very cautious of. And I think you and I are on the same page with this of, being friends with these people first and servicing them with the product before expecting anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the listeners know that that's my style as well. Um, and I'm just thankful that we're, we're having this conversation now, especially early in the year, early in the, the life of switch pod. And I'm just so thankful that, you know, we kept going with it. Um, it's been really fun along the way. I think to finish off, I'd love to hear what you think after I go about what has been, sort of your most favorite part about this process uh, so far. Um, hopefully the f- future favorite part is when either A, these influence start, they, they start to naturally and organically use this and find it and promote it and this becomes a really big thing and, and, and we crush the Kickstarter uh, campaign and it gets bought out or, or whatever. Like those would be amazing moments. But I think the most amazing moments so far have been actually during the testing rounds and the new iterations that we've received after collecting feedback. It's always been amazing to re- uh, receive a new 3D printed prototype or, or, or a new iteration in the mail after having collected feedback because it, it, it just proves that you know we are headed in the right direction. Every iteration has been getting better. And we have made iterations where we're like, let's try this. And then we get feedback and we're like, all right, that didn't work. So let's go back and then change this other thing. But my, my ultimate favorite part so far has been direct connections with people who have seen a prototype, whether it's a 3D plastic printed one or our more fine-tuned aluminum one, and just watching their reactions. And when they say things like, of course, or why didn't I think of that? To me, that's it's, it's not just like, ooh, this is a good sign that this thing's gonna sell. To me, it's like, we're we're help we're we're helping people here and that feels amazing to me um and to do it in a completely new niche for me um is is sort of doubly amazing because um i am not a known videographer per se although i do have videos but um, i'm excited to continue to serve in different ways and this is like a big new way that i'm able to do it so that that's been the most fun part for me i would echo that i think that's been my favorite part too of just being in pe- in person with people, uh, whether that's at VidCon with one of our first prototypes where you're just standing there, like kind of flipping it open and closing it really fast. And someone just walks by and goes, what is that? Or where can I get one of those? And it's like, well, you can't like we invented it. It's not <laughs> out yet. You know, like here's a business card. But like so that was like always a fun interaction. But just getting that real life feedback from somebody or them holding it for the first time or like maybe them going like, Ooh, yeah. Or, you know, like some sort of reaction (laughs) to it. Uh, that's kind of been the best part for me of making a physical product that I haven't made before, um, compared to like you launch a course and you get like some retweets and it's, you know, like it's, it's just a different feeling in person to get feedback. I mean, that being said, like you can get that kind of feedback with digital products. I mean, first of all, apps and software are much easier, right? Because a person's been struggling to do a thing this way for so long, you give them a solution and it's done in seconds. Like, ooh, wow, yeah, like, yes, I would pay for this. I need this in my life. Uh, a digital course is a little bit different. And so where I think there are many comparisons, however, to the process we just talked about is the conversational part 
um, the iterations and what are you iterating on? What, what's your prototype? Your prototype is your outline and the kinds of things that you would be talking about. And what most entrepreneurs who are building online courses do is yes, many are now finally starting to understand how important research is, but then they do the research and then they spend all this time creating and then they, they ship it. Whereas I think there is a lot of opportunity for a lot of things to happen in between where a lot of oohs and ahs can come but also a lot of mm, not so much, which can help influence what the final product becomes. Now, people in the digital space have the um, blessing of being able to more quickly change something than you know a physical product like like ours here. But I think that you can find if you give yourself the opportunity um, those kinds of reactions too. Yeah, for sure, you can do the similar processes we've been doing you can have a coming soon page you can build that buzz you can pre-sell a course or a program or what have you just like we're doing through kickstarter and then actually make it but i think it's just been more fun to do a physical product but it's also been it's been really way cool. more expensive <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it's taken definitely a lot longer than i thought it was going to take um we are 14 months ish in the process and finally have it now launched and the Kickstarter campaign is going to be open for 60 days. I know you've been putting a lot of effort into the page, Caleb, any, any, um, thing people should know before they go, uh, to the page and just how long is it going to be up and things to look out for there? Yeah, we're doing a, a 60 day campaign, which is the longest you can do it. And I've been deep diving into the Kickstarter world and researching best practices. And that whole conversation is probably, better suited for after we actually do the campaign and learn even more. But just know that there are a lot of resources out there for how to run a Kickstarter campaign. And on our page, we're trying to incorporate some of the best practices of of all of those. Yeah, so go ahead and check it out, switchpod.co. And if the campaign is ended, um, that website will likely bring you to wherever it is going to be sold. Um, which we haven't quite discussed and nailed down yet. And also you could likely find the, eventually you'll find um, the Kickstarter campaign link, which lives on uh, on the show notes page for this episode. So uh, thank you all for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, switchpod.co, make sure to follow Caleb on YouTube and, and all the other places. We'll again, have all the links on the show notes page. Any, any final words, Caleb? I'd love to uh, just share really quick some of our taglines we've come up with. Oh God, okay. Uh, switch it up. Uh, so make switch the switch pod. switch yeah. it up make the switch uh and then one of my personal favorite uh favorites is switch it real good <laughs> <laughs> oh switch it real good exactly uh we also had some other names do you want to share what some of those other names were i mean we considered vlog pod because it is for vlogging uh we didn't think that was catchy enough or easy enough to say um zoomerang i don't even <laughs> because it kind of looks like uh, an original shape. kind of boomerang shape and zoom is like a photo video term zoomerang. Uh, the yeah. funny thing with that one was like, we were actually considering that. Um, not that it's a terrible name, but it's, it's looking back. I'm like, Whoa, if this was called the zoomerang, that'd be really weird. Um, but, but it's, it's one of those things that like when you're in the moment sometimes and coming up with stuff, like what really helped us with the name decision was like, sleeping on it and also again talking to other people about it mm -hmm. um, i think if we didn't do that and we just reacted quickly it could have been called the zoomerang because we were really stoked about it for whatever reason at that time so sleeping on those decisions book title names titles of courses that that's that's kind of a smart thing were, were there any other ones i think like the axe or the tomahawk even they were a up. lot of weapon based uh, names yeah probably and my wife at the dinner that. table that one day was like you know, it's already kind of shaped like a weapon, and you probably want to avoid that. Yeah. So we did. Um, yes, and I, I love SwitchPod. It's very catchy, and I hope you guys enjoy the SwitchPod too. So check it out. Thank you in advance for everybody who backs the campaign and shares it. Uh, it just means so much to us. It's been a wonderful journey, and we're just getting started. So we'll keep you up to date, and uh, we'll see you on the, on the Kickstarter page, switchpod.co. Thanks again, Caleb. And where can people go find you and uh, where you're talking about other things too? Yeah, I'm Caleb Wojcik on all platforms. So C-A-L-E-B-W-O-J-C-I-K. And that's my handle everywhere, basically. Love it.
All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Let me know what you think. You can check out the show notes at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 356. I hope this was useful to you, perhaps even inspirational for some ideas that you might have, whether you are thinking of a physical product or a digital product. As you can see, a lot of sort of commonalities between the two and the approaches that you might take. And I, I, I hope you especially, and maybe even re-listen to the part on influencers because Caleb and I both have strong beliefs about how to properly do that for both sides maximum benefit. But of course, the ultimate call to action in this particular episode is to check out the SwitchPod, see how it's doing, and even help us out a little bit if you'd like. SwitchPod.co, SwitchPod.co, SwitchPod.co. You guys are awesome. I appreciate you, Team Flynn. Thank you for being here and supporting, and I hope that uh, this advice and this sort of behind-the-scenes thing is something you love because guess what? We're going to do a lot more of it down the road, not just with SwitchPod and how we end up doing, but with a lot of other projects that I have going on for you as well. So, Team Flynn, thank you so much. Please hit subscribe if you haven't already. Team Flynn for the win. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.